Thank you. Thank you so much for that encouragement and uh, welcome to the people also from, from Bensville who are streaming in. Today we're continuing with our series in the Gospel of John and we're in chapter 17. So we've only got a few chapters to go and we're in the part of the Gospel of John, the story of Jesus, where the plot really thickens. Uh, just prior to chapter 17, Jesus has washed his disciples' feet and he has sat with them at what we now know as the Lord's Supper. Judas has left to betray him and he has been teaching his disciples the most significant parts of who he is and what he's on about so that they can go out into the world with this message. I have likened this time in John 13 through to 17 where Jesus is in the upper room talking to and praying with his disciples as being similar to uh, a sporting team that's about to go out on the ground and the coach and they've been training all week maybe for years and years together and things have gone right and things have gone wrong at training and they're about to go out and play the game. So you would imagine the coach is going to hone in on the really crucial issues. It's rather a long passage today. I'm only going to choose a few parts of it. I hope to capture the essence of this part of Jesus' prayer for his disciples. There are also other passages that I'm going to read today that are relatively long, but they are beautiful. So please stick with me. This Today, not only in John, but in other parts of Scripture, we're going to get, I think, the real heart of God for us, for his disciples then and for us today. So the passage is beginning at verse 6 and going through to verse 19. It's going to be up on your screen in the NIV version. I'm actually going to read it from the message. So you can either just... Forget about the screen and listen. Or if you're a bit dubious about the message, check it out on the screen because the NIV will be a more literal translation. But I think Peterson captures the essence of Jesus' prayer here. I spelled out your character in detail to the men and women you gave me. They were yours in the first place, then you gave them to me. And they have now done what you said. They know now beyond the shadow of a doubt that everything you gave me is firsthand from you. For the message you gave me, I gave them and they took it and they were convinced that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the God-rejecting world but for those you gave me. For they are yours by right. Everything mine is yours and yours mine and my life is on display in them. For I'm no longer going to be visible in the world, 
They'll continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred, conferred as a gift through me so they can be one heart and mind as we are one heart and mind. As long as I was with them, I guarded them in the pursuit of the life you gave through me. I even posted a night watch and not one of them got away except for the rebel bent on destruction, the exception that proved the rule of scripture. Now I'm returning to you. I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy completed in them. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it, because they didn't join the world's ways, just as I didn't join the world's ways. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them wholly concentrated, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm concentrating myself for their sakes so they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. The first thing I want to really emphasise here is that Jesus is praying to his father and he's praying for his disciples. It's very helpful to me personally as a person who has sometimes struggled with the whole area of prayer to recognise that for Jesus it was absolutely crucial that he stay intimate with his father while he was here on earth and that a very important part of that was talking to his dad, talking keeping the lines of communication open. The intimacy that we can have with God through Jesus is significantly involving our staying 24-7 in touch with him, which, of course, is the essence of prayer. And even Jesus needed to do that and he valued that opportunity very highly. The whole notion of prayer is not about making speeches to God. It's about this intimacy and an organic connecting regularly, inviting God in, inviting the Father in through Jesus. And that's what Jesus gave as a wonderful example. There's a beautiful passage in Romans chapter 8. And again, I'm going to read um, a, a few verses here because I think uh, we need to paint or let Paul paint a, a picture. I'm going to um, uh, begin at verse um, 31. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? 
If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. That's prayer. That's interceding. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Do, do we really get that? That's not only beautiful, but it's, it's profound. Jesus is at this moment in the presence of his father sticking up for you. <laughs> Did you realise that? The word is interceding. He's for you. And because of his death and resurrection and the opportunity for us to be forgiven and to be clean, Jesus is interceding for us right now so we can hold our heads up just as Jesus was interceding for his disciples 2,000 years ago, he is also today interceding for us so that this idea of prayer, this opportunity to connect intimately, not only is a beautiful privilege, but it is incredibly powerful so that we can live and hold our heads up before God who loves us deeply notice the first verse of this section verse 6 Jesus has already begun his prayer so it's not it's not the first part of his prayer but it's the first part of the section where he begins actually the intercession he says, I spelled out your character in detail to the men and women you gave me. I'm not sure that we get clearly that the major reason for the cross, the major reason why Jesus came to earth, the major reason why he walked for three years with his disciples is so that God's character could be not only displayed to us and modelled to us through Jesus, but also become available to develop in us. The character of God, the love and grace of God, the capacities of God that are in one place described as the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, you know them, probably fairly well. These character 
capacities and relational capacities that are the nature of God. Jesus came to earth, he died and he rose again so that we can actually have the spirit of God in us to produce his character. To actually allow us, and it's generally fairly gradual, to become more like Jesus, to become more like God. We still need forgiveness. We still need stumbling. The disciples even stumbled a few more times beyond uh, the upper room before they did a magnificent job in sharing the gospel. The character of God developing in us, and we see it in the next section, particularly next week that we'll be considering, the character of God developed in us is the most important winsome capacity for us going into the world because they are beautiful characteristics that everybody will be attracted to if God and his colours and flavours are lived out through us every day. I want to choose two of the indicators of God's character that are mentioned in this passage and very briefly highlight a couple of examples of what it means to have the character of God. The first one is jumping right down to verse 11. So they can be one heart and mind as we are, are one heart and mind. This seems initially to be a little strange as an emphasis for Jesus when he's giving his most pertinent teachings and encouragement to his disciples before they go out on the field. One in heart and mind. What does that mean? I suggest to you that this is not about organisational oneness. This is not about everybody being the same. This is about us as Christian people, as people who acknowledge firmly the death and resurrection of Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins. This is about those of us who are followers and passionate followers of Jesus sticking together in heart and mind. Now, um, I probably didn't get a very good start in this. I, I don't want to be critical. My upbringing, I've shared before, beautiful mum and dad, lovely Christian home. But um, I think my dad firmly believed the churches of Christ were the only proper church. I, I think he, he firmly believed that. He certainly believed that we were the only ones who correctly discerned the meaning of scripture. And I can remember, even when I was in college, there was this debate about whether anybody who had not been baptised by immersion was actually a Christian or not. And I remember being in a debate with one of my fellow students at college about... Um, the fact that you needed to be baptised by immersion in order to be a Christian. Um, 
I was on the side that I believed those who believed in Jesus as the Son of God and accepted him as their saviour and had the spirit of God inside them obviously are Christian. I even think the principal of the college at that time was on the other side. He said to somebody else, I can only imagine that Mr Farmer had his tongue between his teeth or his tongue in his cheek. In other words, he didn't like some of the arguments I was making. I remember as a five-year-old having to run the gauntlet of the Catholics and the Catholics were our mortal enemies. Now, I'm not saying that I agree with Catholic doctrine in quite a number of areas, but I've met many beautiful, God-believing, saved Catholic people. This is about being one heart and mind. I want to read again a passage that I think is one of the most beautiful passages um, in, in the New Testament and, and, and one of the best um, passages that Paul wrote and it's um, from Ephesians 4. You, are, you were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction so stay together both outwardly and inwardly. That's... This is stay one heart and mind. Same direction. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who rules over all, works through all and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. And that doesn't mean that you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us has been given his own gift. And then I just want to um, cut, cut down a couple of verses. And, and he handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher to train Christians in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully matured adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. How beautiful is that? I, I just want to etch that into my soul. That allowing us to be different in our gifts and maybe in our style and what we appreciate in worship, etc., is okay. But in heart and mind, if we can be one, if we can support every other Christian person who's keeping the main thing the main thing in our society. I walk around Gosford regularly and sometimes I see people who are witnessing for God. They're sometimes doing it in a way that I would find very difficult and I have to say I'm not sure it works all that well but God... God may, may use it. I want to encourage them. So I, I go up and I say, good on you. I'm a committed Christian too. Keep going. And I even find as I walk around, I try and discern people who might be Christian. And I sometimes ask people, are you a Christian? I asked a lady uh, last week, are you a Christian? She said, I'm a spiritualist. So I, I recognise that 
I'd actually seen her worshipping with her hands up on the, on the waterfront there, so I thought she may have been maybe a Pentecostal Christian, but she said, I'm, I, I, there are too few of us in terms of even the proportion of Australians today who are committed followers of Jesus for us to be critical of and divisive about other churches and other people. I love that our ministry team regularly emphasise, let's pray for the other churches on the Central Coast. Let's not be competitive with them in the sense that we want to get more of the pie than somebody else. If people are Bible-believing Christians in the sense of followers of Jesus and they are forgiven by him, then let's be together in heart and mind. We can't afford not to be. So the next section that I want just to scroll down to, and it's not um, very far, uh, and this is... A, so so what, what we're saying there in that oneness is there's an ironic spirit. There's a peaceableness about who we are inside, that we're not out to criticise others unduly. We're not out to pull others apart. We're actually going to support others who are on the same journey as us. And then the next section, verse 13, so my people can experience my joy completed in them. So that again seemed almost a little bit incongruous to me in Jesus' absolutely vital teaching to his disciples and his prayer for his disciples, he's talking about joy. At its most commonly accepted expression, joy is life bubbling over, exuberance, even in um, John's terms, life to the full. Um, it's when a good opportunity and feeling inside us spills over into the world and we're joyful. That's, that's what we often would think about joy. And it is that. But actually there's a second and a third and a fourth gear a deeper part to joy than just life that might be effervescent and spilling over. And it's complementary to that, but it, it almost seems as if it's contradictory. And that is that joy is actually formed significantly through pain. That in order to be a person of joy and if you like, just go back and in the 20th verse of the previous chapter of John, uh, he draws attention to the fact virtually that out of our grief comes joy. And in another part of scripture it says, cry your eyes out at night because joy comes in the morning. So out of grief, out of difficulty, out of hardship, sometimes that is or they are the crucibles of our growing closer to God. If out of those difficulties 
the pain and the trauma, we can become more intimate with a loving, gracious God, then that forms within us a crucial aspect of our character. And that crucial aspect is a security that allows us not only to go through the difficulty but to realise and to believe and to trust that God will bring good out of that trauma or out of that evil or out of that pain. So that there is formed within us a character of God that allows us to actually be for him no matter what and to have within our inner being real deep character that sometimes gets rattled, sometimes messes up, but actually becomes more and more intimate in a way that allows us to go more than just through it, but actually come out stronger. So joy is actually the character of God because the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. God is joyful. Even in the midst of our sin and our messing up. Jesus was speaking particularly to the 11 men before him. But if you check out the next section of the prayer where he's actually addressing those who will believe because of these 11 men, then you will see that the themes are spelled out a bit deeper in one or two cases, but they're the same themes. So although he was talking to 11 men, he's talking to us today. Although his prayer was for 11 men at that time, his prayer is for us today in these major themes. And I want to skip to the last verse in, or the last two verses in our passage today and just see the, the note on which Jesus ends his prayer for his 11 disciples. I give them a mission in the world. I'm concentrating myself for their sakes so they'll be truth concentrated in their mission. Or as it says in other passages, as you sent me into the world, Father, I am sending them into the world. Now, that must have been a major exercise in faith. Jesus was looking at a motley crowd of very ordinary people who had messed up recently and one of them was at that very moment betraying him for 30 pieces of silver and he's saying to this group of people, I believe in you. I don't have a backup plan. I trust you. I'm sending you into the world in exactly the same way as my father sent me into the world. What a privilege that is. We're being sent into the world the same way that Jesus was sent into the world. Just as Jesus came to be salt and light and to express God's colours and flavours, so we are being sent into the world. 
And do you know what? They were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. If you want a historical perspective, which group of 11 or 12 people has had anywhere near the same impact on the whole history in the last 2,000 years of this world than these 11 motley people? Through the Spirit of God in them and the encouragement of Jesus ringing in their ears and their hearts, they went out into the world and they were joyful and they did stick together in incredibly persecuted days where many of them ended up sacrificing their lives for Jesus. They were persecuted and they were outcast but they were the light of the world. Can I just conclude by saying to you and to me, Jesus says the same thing to us and has the same trust in us as he had in those 11 people. We can go into our community and wherever and be God's salt and light to be his colours and flavour. We, through the spirit of God in us, can turn this world upside down. Jesus trusted the disciples and he trusts you and he trusts me. Let's go for it. Can we pray together? Father, thank you. Thank you that you're sticking up for us right now in the presence of our Father, our Heavenly Father. Thank you for Jesus that within hours of him speaking these words of encouragement and challenge to his disciples. He was murdered brutally, but then rose again, turning destruction or apparent destruction, turning catastrophe into resurrection and life. Thank you that that can happen in our lives daily as it did in these disciples' lives. Thank you, Father, that through your spirit in us, in very small ways and maybe even in big ways, we can be your colours and your flavours and that you trust us to be your light. In Jesus' name, amen.